Today we begin a short three-week series, Upward, Inward, Outward. Is everybody settling back down into school and and back to work and off vacations? We we just wanted to spend three weeks going back to the basics of what's what's really important in your Christian life. Uh, We do that in so many areas. Our children are going back to school. Uh, They're they're, they're first of all going to be reminded of the basics I was talking to some of our educators this week, and the statistic is if a kid's been out of school all summer long and they've not been in some kind of program, it will take the first six to nine weeks of school to catch them up to where they were when they left in May. And so it's a challenge to go back to those basics. Many of you are are playing football. I know little Isaac has gotten here earlier enough to to play football. And and a coach is going to spend those first few weeks Taking the team back to the basics. We're not going to wear pads. We're just going to wear a helmet because before we start doing the dangerous things, we want you to have the basics down pat so you don't get hurt. And we know a football team, no matter how talented they may be, if they don't know how to run and to tackle and to block and to catch and to hold on to the ball, they're not going to be successful. And guys, when it comes to Christianity... Unless we learn to, to maintain this wonderful relationship with God, great relationships with one another, and, and being on a mission to reach this world, with, without those basics, my friends, no matter what else we may do, no matter how gifted we may be, we will be failures. we got to go back to the basics. And, and so let me challenge you this morning. First of all, let's not overcomplicate Christianity. I, I think one of the things that... that plagues us is the longer you're a Christian, the more you know, and the more you need to change, and the more you need to grow in your discipleship, the more you need to be like Jesus, the more your language needs to change, the more your attitude needs to change. All of these things that just every Sunday, every week just keep piling up on you, they're good things. But if you're not careful, it it starts to be complicated. You know what I'm saying? And and before long, it's like, I just can't get my, my head around all of these things. And that's why when Jesus came, Jesus was the great simplifier. And so we don't want to complicate, but let me also beg you about something this morning. Don't negate this. Don't say, oh, great, here they go. They're just going to talk about reading your Bible and being in a small group and reaching out. And, uh, you know, it's just the same old, same old, same old. And let me tell you guys, don't negate what we're going to talk about this morning. Because again, without these basic building blocks of a spiritual life, you will be lost. And so please listen closely and, and take notes as we study. I want to look this morning at a different angle. The, the Bible says in 10 times in the Gospels that Jesus withdrew. He withdrew. It was, it was a part of the rhythm of Jesus' life that he would withdraw from the crowds. Now, what I've never done until this week is really thought about why did he withdraw? What happened in those moments? So we're going to look at a few of those moments this morning and give you some reasons that you need in this crazy world we live in to withdraw yourself from people, from activity, from technology, and just be with God. Number one. He, he, regrew, he withdrew for, you'll see the word up here, recreation, okay? Yeah, G- Jesus loved to golf, didn't he? Jesus loved, you know, some of you are getting excited about this sermon, aren't you? Now, l- listen to me. 
Uh, here, here's the word, the way you need to use this word, recreation. Say that with me. Recreation. Jesus withdrew from recreation. Jesus was so busy in life that he knew he hadn't had that rhythm of withdrawing to be recreated. Look at this passage, Luke chapter 5, verse 16 with me, if you would. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. In the context here, Jesus has been doing some amazing miracles. Can you imagine if we had someone in the streets of Montgomery who could heal every kind of sickness, and the hospitals are pouring out, and the neighborhoods are coming, and Jesus is being pressed. And in the middle of this, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, You know, at times, if you read closely, like in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus does this, his disciples are rather frustrated with him. Don't you see Jesus, they say to him? The the crowds are here. The house is packed. I mean, there are people who need to hear the gospel. There are people who need to be healed. Why in the world are you withdrawing? And yet Jesus knew this rhythm was, was critical because here's the danger. Jesus could experience burnout from busyness. Can you imagine how busy it would be to be the Son of God and to have three years to fulfill your ministry on this earth? Just three years. I mean, you're wanting to pack it in. What's whispered in your ear is you need to do more and more and more because you might miss out on someone. Someone might not be healed. Someone might not hear. And yet Jesus says, guys, I'll never be able to do this unless I withdraw. It's like the old illustration about the man chopping wood or two men chopping wood. Who's going to chop more wood? The man who just continues to chop hour after hour after hour and never stops and withdraws and sharpens his axe? Or the man who withdraws and sharpens his axe periodically and goes back? It's the second guy. And yet it feels so counterproductive. Guys, we live in a crazy, busy world where withdrawing is so opposed to everything that we hear. Well, you know, I'm never in discussion when someone's talking about their spiritual life or how things are in life where someone doesn't say, I am just way too what? Busy. And we are. I remember years ago reading this book by John Ortberg where he defined what he called hurry sickness. And we've done that quite a few times in here. Let's take the test again just to see where we are. See if we're doing any better. He said, you'll find out if you're hurry sick. He said, now, when you're, when you're hurry sick, here's the problem. You know what it affects? It affects relationships. You don't have any good relationships in a hurry. You know, some of you got in fights on the way here this morning because you were in a hurry, and everybody wasn't ready, and you're trying to get everybody to the car, and you made the mistake of honking the horn, and when your wife got to the car, it wasn't too pretty, was it? We get in trouble. And let me tell you, you will not have a good relationship with God if you're always in a hurry. So let me give you the test. Here's what Ortberg says. Test number one. You're riding down the road in your car. It's a four-lane highway. You come up to a red light. There are two lanes. There are two cars, one in each lane. The light is red. And here's he says, you, you've got hurry sickness. Is if you drive up to there, you're trying to figure out the year, make, and model of each car to decide how quickly they're going to take off from the red light. Anybody, do you do that? I confess, I do. All right. And some of you are in those terrible slow cars I've noticed, all right? 
Here's the second test. You go to the grocery store, you get all your items, you're coming up to the checkout line. I love this one. You come to the checkout line, you're trying to decide how you're going to get out of there the quickest. And so the first thing you do is you count the number of people in each aisle, right? How many people can do that? All right. Uh, a second thing you do is once you uh, look there, you not only count the number of people in each aisle, you count the number of items in each basket. How many of you do that? Sick people, aren't we? Now, you are really sick if not only have you counted the number of people in each aisle and the number of items in each basket, but when you pick your aisle, you keep up with where you would have been if you'd gotten in another aisle. <laughs> How do you do that? Okay, we are all sick people, all right? So here's the deal. Now, here's something I've come to conclusion. We're not going to stop being busy. I, I don't think the call of God is for you just to become a goof off. Here's the call of God. The call of God is that you build some rhythm in your life out of your busyness to withdraw and be with him. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what made his life so very blessed. Number two, he withdrew for recovery, all right? Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Now, let me give you context of this. Matthew 4, 13. Go ahead and flash that up. Matthew 4, 13. Here's what's just happened. John the Baptist has just died. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that passage over and over and never thought about it. Who was John the Baptist to Jesus? He was his second cousin. Uh, Jesus was extremely close to John the Baptist. He actually met him before they were either born. And, and, and John the Baptist is his second cousin. John the Baptist baptizes him. John the Baptist may be the one person on earth who really understands Jesus and understands his mission. And here he is beheaded. And the Bible says when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Can you imagine how emotionally distress Jesus was. You see, here's the danger in our life, is that the danger is that we can lose perspective through loss. And life just becomes very, very murky. If you've lost a loved one in the last few months, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Your life has just been thrown like Jesus in a terrible kilter. Things don't seem right. You know, if you've lost your job, if you've lost your health, if you've lost a dream, if you've lost your marriage, you all of a sudden wake up and life just is not making sense. You, you don't see things clearly. You don't react to things clearly. Uh, cave divers call this silt out. In other words, if, if you're diving in a cave, and, and you go under in the cave, and there's a, there's a great, let's say, lake in the middle of a really big cave, there, there are people who love to dive in those. And, and they take lights with them, and they're, they're normally okay. But the problem co becomes, if their flippers touch the bottom and stir the dirt, and the cave lake becomes completely murky, they lose complete perspective. And that's why a wise cave diver will have a rope dropped that they can hold on to and climb up to make it back to life. Many cave divers die 
in this silt out because they lose all perspective about what's up and what's down, and they don't know how to escape. And guys, often in our life, many of you are experiencing this right now. You have suffered some kind of terrible loss, and things are not looking good. And, and you're not seeing things clearly. And, and here's what you must learn from even Jesus. You've got to withdraw and spend time with just God. Last week, we had an overflow of people around this stage who struggled or are struggling with depression. And, and, and when you're depressed, things are not clear. You don't make big decisions when you're depressed. You're not, you're not seeing things right. And, and, and what you must do, part of the answer, and probably the number one part of the answer, is you must withdraw. As uncomfortable as that, you must withdraw and spend time with God. I was talking with someone this morning before service who is undergoing a, a terrible loss in his life and struggling with incredible depression. He says, I've tried all these things, and the only thing that actually helps heal me is just to get off and talk to God about this. And, and I would say to you, my friends, we need to understand, as uncomfortable as we are with alone time, many of us, there's a great healing power of withdrawing and it just being you and God. Well, let's look at another reason Jesus withdrew. It was also for renewal. In John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And listen to me, the crowds are going crazy. I mean, how about if we had a political candidate this, this fall who could offer us Free food. Everybody's fed with free food, and there's no taxes involved. You know, they offer it, and we don't say, well, okay, how are you going to pay for that? I mean, that sounds nice. We'd like free college tuition. We'd like free this and free that. But how are you going to pay for this? No, this, this person says, and you know they can do it. They can just produce it. I mean, there's a crowd of probably 10, 12,000 people, and, and Jesus just on the spot produces this food. Well, people are going crazy, and, and, and they're so excited about Jesus that they want to crown him king, wouldn't you? Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, here's the danger here. The danger is that other forces will run your life. I mean, Jesus has become so popular. Can, can you imagine the addiction that Jesus could have had to the crowd, the addiction to the popularity, the addiction to someone saying, we're going to crown you king? Well, well, you know, I mean, how easy for Jesus to justify. I've come to be king. So, you know, it may, may look a little bit different than what I expected, but when does life look like what you've expected? Let, let me go ahead and be crowned king, and let's, let's sort of short-circuit this thing, and then I can do a lot of good. But my friends, that's not the kind of king Jesus wanted to be. That's not the reason he wanted to be crowned king. And you know, in your life, th this is the problem with, with not having alone time and always running 90 to nothing, is that what happens is other forces begin to run your life. And let me, let me say this to you. You know this. There are a lot of forces out there that would like to take control of your life. Some of the people you work for would like your life to be completely consumed with work. Some of your relationships, they would want your life to be cons completely consumed in that relationship. 
you know, some of the sports activities we love. It's so easy without a time to withdraw to become overwhelmed with those things to the point that my life is just about, you know, playing sports, watching sports, doing sports 24 hours a day. And if we're not careful, other forces begin to run our life because we're not living life in perspective. And that's why Jesus says, hey, hey, this, this, is, this is heady stuff, man. They want to make me king right now. I, I, better, I better get away from this. I better get away from the applause. I better get away from the adulation. I better get away from the high. I better get away from the addiction of approval. And I better get my head on straight with God. Because here's the problem. Is if, if Satan can get your life Let's say you're right here, and he can just confuse you enough through your busyness, through your your lack of being centered with God, that you divert your life 10%. Sounds like very little. Just 10%. But listen to me. 10% right here, by the time you get to the back of this worship center, is a big, big gap. It gets broader and broader. And that's why it's critical that we learn from Jesus to withdraw, to get the proper perspective about what's going on in life so that it's not somebody else or some force. Listen, guys, in the, in the culture we live in, with so many forces, your life can easily be dictated by simply the urgent. What's in front of me that somebody else thinks I need to get done? And before long, I've drifted from God. Now look at this next one. He also went and withdrew for, for revelation. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, Jesus is about to make one of the most important decisions of his life here on this earth. And that's who's going to be his apostles. But again, even Jesus knew he needed divine intervention on this. So one of those days, Jesus went out to mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning called, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated to be apostles. Now, here's the danger here. The last danger was someone else runs your life. Here's a, a, probably a, a more tempting danger for most of us, is that we run our own lives, okay? That, that, that I begin to run my life and I begin to make decisions without the guidance of God. I run my own life. And guys, how tempted are we to do that? How tempted are we just to go through life reacting and moving and making quick decisions without the guidance of God and the Holy Spirit? You know, um, I don't know about you, but, but I, I, I've always thought I'm a pretty into intuitive person. And uh, some people are more thinkers and some are more feelers and I'm more of the, the feeling intuitive end. And, and so normally I, I have pretty good faith in my intuition that I need to make this decision or I need to do this or I need to do that. But let me tell you, that's an incredible danger because I've, I found out in retrospect that many decisions I made by intuition that simply felt right to me in the moment were actually not very good decisions. Because it just felt like this is what I need to do. Jesus knew better than that. And so Jesus would withdraw himself so that he had the divine guide. He probably knew which of these disciples he really liked and who he didn't like. 
He probably knew which of them that he was drawn to, which of them he had a better time with, which of them he, he just personally maybe would rather be around. But he's picking the foundation of the church. He's picking the force that's going to carry his cause on. He can't do that by intuition. He can't even do that by thinking and by putting a list of pros and cons of each disciple. He's got to have God. And so he prays. Because, see, here's the danger, is that I might run my own life. And it might not really be God. It might just be my feelings. And then let me just say one more word here as you're taking notes. And I think this goes beneath everything, is, is that Jesus withdrew for relationship. He withdrew to be with his fathers. It, it's not just about what his father could do for him. It was about being with the Father. That's a big step in any relationship. Most relationships we're in, they begin with finding somebody who meets a need in our life who can do something for us. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of the way we begin. But a great turning point in a relationship is when you want to be with this person, not for what they can do for you, but what happens when they're with you. You don't have to get together to accomplish something, to work on some goal. You just want to be with them. And let me tell you this about Jesus. One of the major reasons Jesus withdrew consistently in his ministry was he just loved being with his Abba Father. He just loved being with God. It was that relationship that sustained him, that empowered him. You see, the danger is if we don't walk in close relationship with God, the truth is we become powerless and we become independent. And in our powerlessness and independence, we're in trouble. We're in great trouble. Look at these two passages. John chapter 5, verse 30. Just just one little phrase here. Jesus says this, By myself, I can do nothing. Say that with me. By myself, I can do nothing. Now, I've tried to do some deep research for this message, guys. I've looked up the Greek word nothing, and you know what it means? Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely. It just means, it means, I mean, that, that's a pretty bold word. Jesus, come on, you're Jesus. You're the second person of the Trinity. You're the Son of God. You're perfect. Is this exaggeration? I don't think so. Jesus, if, if I become disconnected from my Father, I can do nothing. And then look at this passage, John 15, verse 5. Keep clicking with me a second, guys. John 15, verse 5. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, I've, I've, I've researched this Greek word, and guess what it means? Nothing. You believe that? W- without him, you can do Nothing. And so my challenge to you and I is that that we understand this is not, if we're going to be people of God, this is not optional. We can do nothing without him. Now let's close this out with a few statements. Let's be honest. The whole world is working against you in this. 
the whole world, there, there, is a, there is a demonic conspiracy against you spending any alone time with God. You feel it. I, I would hate to poll today. How many of us have really specifically withdrawn this week to simply be with God and away from every distraction? Listen, the quiet places in our culture are disappearing. You go in the average home and the TV is on almost all the time whether people are watching it or not. You, you go out to eat at a restaurant and in a restaurant used to be that intimate place where you would withdraw to be with the person that you loved and have that quiet conversation. You can hardly find a new restaurant, especially where there's not 20,000 HD TVs in every corner. We're constantly inundated. I was at a retreat recently. The, the specific point of the retreat was for all of us on this board to withdraw, to spend time with God, and to spend time with each other. And, and when we had a break, and I walked back in the room, we were all seated at tables, and I walked back to this, the, the table that I was seated in. There were, there were seven other people. There were eight of us. And I walked back to the table. This was yesterday. I walked back to the table, and, and every person at this spiritual retreat was on their cell phone. Every one of them. And I walked back, and I just laughed. I said, guys, do you see what you're doing? Here we are on this retreat, and we're all connecting with something way away from here. And they said, buddy, you're going to use this in a sermon. I said, yes, tomorrow. <laughs> now, we laugh about this, guys, but look at what it's done to us. What really is a blessing that we're, we're such a connected people is a blessing, but, but guys, when it comes to our relationship with God, all this multiple connection that's available to you 24 hours a day. Studies say a high percentage of husband and wives lie in bed with their backs to each other. The last thing they do in the day is check their phones. Talk about destroying intimacy. And guys, there, there's a conspiracy. And so, my friend, for you and I to overcome this, we're going to have to be highly intentional. So let me give you a challenge before you walk out of here today. The challenge is to withdraw, to spend time alone with God three times this week for 30 minutes. I'm going to try to keep this rule. So I'm not even, I'm not right now even challenging you for every day, even though we know that's better. But right now, for so many of us who this is not a regular practice in our life, withdrawal to a quiet place where there's no TV. I beg you, I'm tempted here, I'll just be honest. Don't take your phone. You can miss that text. You can miss that, that Instagram. You, you can miss it. Withdrawal, just, just this week, three times in the next week. Take 30 minutes, I'm telling you. You're going to be watching your watch, many of us, because it's uncomfortable. This is so foreign to us. Go where there's nobody, no distractions, nobody but you and God. Take your Bible, and that's all, and just spend some time with God. You may sit there in silence, just asking God to reveal himself to you. Read the Word, talk to him, and just listen to what he may say to you, what he may reveal to you.
Because guys, listen to me. Jesus said this. I don't know if we believe this or not, but we better believe it because it's true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't care how gifted you are, how talented you are, how much you feel like you could do on your own. When it comes to doing what is really real and significant, you can do nothing without him. Now, now for each one of us, this may look a little bit different for one person than the other, but you take that 30 minutes and just withdraw yourself from all the noise. Be, if you're uncomfortable, tell God, I'm uncomfortable. If you're having a hard time making it through it, tell him. Be honest with him. Begin a relationship. And once you get in this practice, and it becomes more than three times a week, but it becomes daily, there'll come a point where no matter what's pressing against you, You see, here's here's what Satan says to you. You're too busy to do this. What God says to you is, you're too busy not to do this. Because you're going to get disoriented. And you're going to think up is down and down is up. And you're going to lose the most significant relationship in your life, which is your relationship with God. So I hope you'll take that challenge. Let me close by allowing you and I to put ourselves in some kind of words in how, our, how is our relationship with God. I'm going to give you six choices this morning. How is your relationship with God? You see, this is, this is the most radical thing about Jesus to me, is that Jesus came to this earth and he said, I want to be your friend. That's crazy. No one in the history of the world would have ever thought of a God who came and lowered himself to say, what I really want with you is a friendship. That's what he wants. How's your friendship with God? Let me me give you a a few answers you might give this morning as you're trying to reflect just a moment before we close this service out. Number one, you might say, I've heard of him. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard he's around. Number two, I know someone who knows him. Now, we talk about relationship with God. You think of that person as always. You know they walk close with God. You're, you're jealous of it. Number three, I used to be close to him. You can look back at your life today before busyness took over, when you were walking so intimately. You might say, number four, he's an acquaintance. Or number five, we're just getting to know each other. Some of you are young in the faith. Some of you are young in following God. Some of us grew up in religious systems where we didn't talk about relationships. We just talked about rules. And this is sort of a new concept for you. And you're just getting started on it. That's so cool. Stay on that journey. But wouldn't it be awesome if every one of us could answer, he's my very best friend. Other people come and go in my life. Other events come and go. But I'm telling you what, the one constant in my life was the one constant in Jesus' life is that I often withdraw because I can't live without him. Because the key right now is just to be honest. Be honest with yourself. What's your answer? Are you pleased with your answer? I hope you are. I hope you're at a place where you go, man, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to know Jesus, and this is, this is so cool. Or, man, he has become my best friend. I'm on that, that journey. Or today, if, if one of those top answers are yours, and you're not happy being there, if you want the church to pray for you in just a moment, and we, we pray about a lot of things in this church. We prayed by the droves about depression last week. We pray about issues like, you know, drug addiction and all kinds of things. Because probably foundationally, back to the basics, 
what we need to pray about more than anything because it will affect everything is our relationship with God. And today, if you have drifted from God or you have never known him and you're ready to embrace him as your Savior, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?